It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. So this week we are going to discuss number 96 on the American Film Institute's top 100 films. Uh, Do the Right Thing, uh, one of the very, very classic Spike Lee joints. Um, But before we get going, I guess uh, we are going to take a look and see um, what else we've been up to. (laughs) Scott, what what have you been up to in in movie things? Have you watched anything recently? Yeah, uh, last week I went and saw, actually, rare for me, I saw two movies last week. I saw the remake of Fright Night, and then I saw The Help. Um, I was going to discuss The Help because I thought it was kind of interesting that it ties into kind of topically ties into what we're discussing this week. Mm-hmm. Um, the Help is based on, uh, what's her name? It's a book. It's a Kelly read the book, she loved the book, and she goes, we have to go see this movie. She ended up going to see it with her mom and her sister, and then I ended up seeing it a week later um, with my mom and my brother. <laughs> um, and we really enjoyed it. It's a really solid movie that I would actually recommend anybody go see. Um, it's, it takes place in 1960s, uh, Jackson, Mississippi. It's about this girl um, named Skeeter, played by one of my new favorite young actresses, Emma Stone. Um, she goes back home having just completed college, and she kind of remembers or rediscovers uh, the latent and blatant uh, racism um, of of her hometown. And it's interesting the way the story kind of unfolds, and she it's basically about this girl who decides to try to tell the story of um, the... Uh, the black community in Jackson, Mississippi, at least the way they're portrayed in the book and the movie, were largely um, the uh, the domestic help of the community. They worked in their houses, they worked, you know, in restaurants, and so she decides to try to tell their story. So she starts trying to interview different um, people there in the community, different black people in the community, and just kind of going, "You know, what's your perspective on this? What's it like to be somebody who doesn't get to raise their own children because you're so busy raising?" all of these rich white people's children. And it's really good. Um, like I said, Emma Stone's in it. Allison Janney from the West Wing's in it. Um, Viola Davis, I believe her name is, is in it. And it's really, it's it's funny, it's sad, it'll make you angry, um, it'll inspire you. It's, I think, uh, it's, it's no Schindler's List, um, but I would say it's a... Uh, a Driving Miss Daisy or Secret Life of Bees. It's just a solid, entertaining movie that really you could watch with your parents you could watch it with the family and there's really nothing too objectionable in it there's some uh there's some language if that bothers you but it's uh it's a good movie i'd recommend it sure. and uh, has some potentially important things to say i guess yeah it does i i mean it's one of those things where i um it after i saw it i heard that there was some african-american uh people or groups of people that kind of objected to the movie and i don't know how to comment on that as i am a uh, middle-aged white person from the lower middle class and so when I watched the movie to me it seems like a very important movie because it reminds me that you know just because this is the way things have always have been doesn't mean it should stay that way you know even though we the majority might vote and say this is what I want in my country that doesn't mean we should ignore the rights of different minority groups, whether it's a race group or a religious group or whatever, we need to keep those people in mind because 
well, we're all created equal. We believe that as Americans, and so I think this kind of a movie, this kind of movie, serves to remind um, different people in our society that hey, remember that this, that this happened, that there were bad things happening in the '60s, and a lot of people were turning their turning their attention elsewhere. They were getting upset about other things. Um, oh, what was it? I heard somebody once say, and I don't know if this is a quote from a movie or a quote from a book, but. Um, Somebody said, you know, back in the 60s, some people were, um, what was it? Some people were boycotting the Beatles and burning Elvis records, while other people were fighting for civil rights. Which group, you know, which group do you want to be in? Which one's more important? Which one do you want to, you know, which one would make you more proud to tell your children, you know, I was part of that group? Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, On that note, uh, one of the movies I went back to watch uh, this last week um, is a classic uh, John Wayne movie called McClintock, uh, also from 1963. So definitely that same era of, of time that the help is, uh, yeah. Same. Looking back to this movie is made right at that same time. And uh, this is one of my favorite John Wayne movies. Um, it has John Wayne and, and Maureen O'Hara in it. Um, and she's just fantastic as well. And it's uh, really a funny movie overall. It's very um, very lightweight, easygoing, and just kind of, um, you know, a very uh, simple, easy movie to get through. Um, the basic. I've never, I've never seen it. Is this before or after The Quiet Man? Oh that's gosh, I'm I'm honestly not sure. Um, okay. That's my that's my favorite John Wayne, Marine O'Hara uh, team up. And I've never seen McClintock. I, I will say, if you, uh, it's after The Quiet Man. This is ten years, nineteen fifty-two. I just looked it up, so thank you, okay. uh, Netflix. Um, <laughs> but uh, kind of the basic premise of McClintock is that he is kind of this this cattle baron who um, basically founded this western town that is named McClintock. Um, you know, he's he's that kind of a rich person. The town is named after him, and his wife comes home and. Um, she has been gone and they've kind of had some major separation issues and that kind of thing. And she comes back um, because their daughter is returning from prep school out in the East somewhere. And uh, she comes back and kind of has to fit back into, um, you know, Western life. And um, during the course of all of that, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of hijinks that ensue and fights and, um, you know, there's, there's small town politics going on and, uh, Overall, it's a very charming movie. Um, the um, the the thing that I found very interesting about it, especially in light of, of what you were saying about the help, is that one of the subplots, and it's it's not even a major subplot in the movie. I mean, it, it gets referenced three or four times, um, but it it um, actually comes back even kind of in the finale of the film. So it's it's very important to what's going on, but it's not the focus of the movie is that um, there is this group of Indians who are waiting for um, the, the chiefs who have been imprisoned. They, their, their great chiefs have been um, imprisoned um, by the government, and they're coming home, finally, um, back to the reservation. And um, in this process, um, the government wants to resettle them again into some new reservation somewhere else. Um, and, uh, 
there's this history that is kind of hinted at and referenced and stuff in, in the movie that John Wayne has uh, with these Native American chiefs um, where it seems like, you know, when they were all much younger, um, they all fought each other in these different, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it seemed like as they were, as, as the white people were trying to settle the West, um, you know, John Wayne was fighting these, these guys. And now they are all old people. And, uh, you know, um, it, it seems like possibly one of the chiefs may have saved John Wayne's life at some point. Nice. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's just very much a, um, they have this huge respect for each other at this point. Um, and then the government is coming in and uh, the chiefs end up asking uh, John Wayne's character to speak for him, for them at the trial. And, um, and you kind of get into this and, and it's just very interesting to see um, how these groups of people who once were enemies have now come together in, in a way that they can live together and work together and have, um, if not just respect, I mean, even, uh, you know, I would go so far as to say a form of friendship and, and mm. kinship because of the um, trials that they've all gone through together. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, at the end, because of this bond that they have, they all see the injustice of what the, um, the government is trying to do. Um, and it's, just, it's, it's also a very fascinating look um, in a completely different way, obviously. You know, it's looking at, <clears throat> at a different point in American history, um, but at race relations and, um, you know, on what it means uh, to, to have, um, you know, racism and, and some of that. It's, it's a very, it's, it's kind of a subtle piece of the movie, while at the same time, it really struck me this time watching it. You know, it's it's kind of the movie, a movie that you can watch and not get this stuff out of it, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's definitely there. Um, and that's, that's really interesting because, like, to me, um, I, I haven't watched a lot of John Wayne movies because a lot of them, I feel like I can lump together at, at, into, like, this one basic story. And maybe that's... Maybe that's unfair of me, but um, this actually sounds really interesting. I'm gonna have to go check this yeah, out. Yeah, I, I would highly recommend it. It's like I said, it's actually it's a lot of fun. There's um, if, if you liked the whole fight sequence out of uh, the Quiet Man, and, yeah, the longest and, fight the sequence long, up to that point. In this history. this kind of the um, it has a couple of great sequences. There's a fight um, kind of in the sluice pit. It's like at the top of this hill and everybody ends up getting, it's like, it turns into a mud fight. Basically Maureen O'Hara awesome. is involved. It's, it's just fun. Um, and Maureen then, O'Hara in a mud fight. I am there. Yeah. And, and there's kind of this ending sequence where it's kind of at the big 4th of July celebration or, or whatever <laughs> in the town. And, um, and John Wayne basically chases Maureen O'Hara through the entire town in front of everyone in the town. Um, <laughs> nice. And it's, uh, you know, so there's, there's some really fun sequences. It's, it's a really good movie overall, I would say. Um, and this is just an interesting subtext that I really picked up this time out of it. So cool. I'm going to add that to my Netflix yeah. uh, right now. So um, in other news, uh, last time on this program, uh, we talked about, uh, number 97 on the AFI list, Blade Runner. And in the last uh, couple of weeks since we recorded that podcast, um, there is news that Ridley Scott is looking at making a new Blade Runner movie. Yeah. 
And again, like you said, we, we're recording this now, so we don't know. Um, you future people may already know the answer to this question as you run away from zombies and or the android uprising that is sure to come. Mm. Um, we don't. I'm interested in this because I mean we don't know at this point uh, if this is going to be a sequel, a prequel, a remake, a separate story that takes place in the same universe. Right. From from um, what from what I have read about it up till now, um, it sounds like a separate story in the universe. Interesting. Um, which is kind of uh, there was um, there was an author who ended up writing several books, uh, kind of in that similar vein, stories you know of the world of Blade Runner, if you will, who kind of followed up on Philip K. Dick's original works, um, but after the movie came out. Um, and so... Uh, it might take some of those ideas from those books. Yeah, I, I, that, that is my hope. Um, you know, I don't feel, uh, especially having just watched the movie again, I don't feel that the world really needs a remake of, no. of Blade it, Runner. I mean, it, yeah. And to me, with, it, with Ridley Scott being attached to it, and we don't know, I guess... Do we know if he's actually going to direct it? Uh, you know, I think if details are sketchy, but I think that is the idea at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, this is Ridley Scott's not somebody who's really attached himself to a lot of franchises. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I mean, he directed the first Alien movie, and now he's um, doing a new kind of a prequel to that. Yeah, a new prequel to that. But I mean, from what we're hearing, even about that, it, it seems to be its own separate story. It's like it's not necessarily the story of oh. There was these other people who were also discovered that also discovered the creature at one point. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a very original mm-hmm. and exciting new idea, and so just the idea that Ridley Scott is going to do this would really kind of let me just be excited about anything he decided to mm-hmm. do. I would be a little disappointed if it was just a straight up remake mm-hmm. um, because I don't feel like it's a movie that needs to be remade, and I don't know what you could do with it. Mm-hmm. But if it's, if it's a new slice of that world, count me interested, you know? Exactly. I mean, and, you know, honestly, I would be okay with a prequel if the prequel was about a, you know, it probably wouldn't be Harrison Ford, obviously, but if, if it was about a young Deckard and we got to see what he was like as a Blade Runner, it could be a completely separate story that would explore a lot of the same ideas and themes mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be attached to... Mm-hmm. Blade Runner, prop, you know, the next Blade Runner movie. It's like it'd be the same character, but it'd be a, a sequel in the same way, like the Indiana Jones movies are technically a series of stories of the same guy. It's like this could be just another story, and, or know, it could be the story of the uprising. I was going to say, there's, there's, uh, the world is. That was one of the things that we loved about the movie when we talked about it last week. Um, that it, it's just a very deep world that is created for this. Mm-hmm. Um, for this film, and uh, you know, I think there's a thousand stories that could probably be told yeah. in the Blade Runner universe. So, as t- to me, I mean, whether it's the same character or just taking that universe and telling a different story in it, I think um, I'm okay with it. I think <laughs> I'm okay with it. Um, as long, basically, as long as it's not just a straight remake, um, yeah. which which I doubt. I I can't I imagine that there's yeah. really anyone who's sitting around, including Ridley Scott, who's clamoring for a remake of. Mm-hmm. What is argu- arguably one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time? Um, yeah, I can't. Im- I, yeah, I can't imagine that. So, anyhow, so uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, you know, if we hear more, we may uh, update you on that. But we're we just thought it was an interesting kind of coda to to what had occurred on our previous podcast. So we just kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit. Indeed. And now on to do the right thing. Indeed. Um, 
All right, so 1989, Spike Lee. <laughs> Sorry, you said 1989 and made me think of this, that, the song that keeps playing over and over again in the movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Fight the Power. If you haven't seen the movie yet, yeah, uh, he uses uh, Public Enemies' Fight the Power. And every scene he gets the chance to work it in, including a five-minute opening sequence of Rosie Perez dancing, <laughs> it is everywhere. And it's <laughs> I started to get a little tired of the music about 30 minutes in. But I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, on that note, I will say it's kind of effective in its own way. It is. And it actually makes sense for the whole story when it gets there. Once you get to the end, you kind of understand what was going on a little bit better. Um the music in general in this movie kind of bothered me, but we can come back to that. Um, because the movie itself, uh, written and directed and starring Spike Lee, um, who you might know from uh, Inside Man, Malcolm X, and a uh, little movie that I really liked was The 25th Hour he did with Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's had you know countless other films, so if, if oh, those yeah. are not the ones, you know... I'm, those, yeah, those are... I, I, went, I looked over his IMDb page, and those are the ones that kind of stood out the most to me. Those might be the mo- the highest-profile movies. Because that's what's interesting to me. I was looking over his movies, uh, Spike Lee, mm-hmm. and uh, he's done a lot of work. I mean, he is making a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily one a year, but pretty close almost. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are kind of under the radar. He has mm-hmm. kind of stayed in that slightly independent film world. Yeah, it's, it's been very interesting how he's kind of done that. He's a big name, but he flies under the radar, mm-hmm. you know? Um, which I think is very fascinating and very interesting. And I would, I would dare say that has happened because he tends to make this kind of movie, this kind of socially aware uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie um, basically is about one single day. Uh, it's supposed to be the hottest day of the year on... Uh, one particular section in Brooklyn, and it's, yeah, according you know the tagline of the movie is like everyone's hate and bigotry smolders and builds until it explodes into violence, and that's kind of the the summary of the movie almost. And and I mean and that's almost exactly what happens in this movie. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a very interesting film because it really is. Um, the way this film is built, it really is centered on this being the hottest day, um, both as as a metaphor and as a literal. It's a crazy hot day, um, you know. And as someone, uh, this last weekend, um, our air conditioning went out. Oh, <laughs> and you know, we waited several hours. You know, it was like six o'clock at night when when the repairman was finally able to get here to 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 fix it. Um, so my wife and I sat in our house. Part of the day, we, we ended up leaving. Um, but I tell you what, as it got hotter and hotter, it was probably over 100 degrees in the house um, mm-hmm. you know, by midday. Oh, man. Um, we, we love each other, but we were testy. <laughs> we were not happy with each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's how it is. Like, you, you love someone dearly, but on a hot day, you're like, do not touch me. Mm-hmm. Don't get close to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, it definitely, um, you know, I watched this shortly after that happened. And <laughs> and so I definitely identified with the theme a little bit. I'm like, you know what? If there is underlying problems or if there's, I mean, you don't have to have problems. And a hot day or crazy heat mm-hmm. can drive you 
out of your mind, let alone if there are underlying problems to yeah, what's going and, on. Yeah, and uh, Spike Lee uses the heat as kind of a metaphor. Mm-hmm. I mean, not it's kind of it's symbolic. It's it's literally the hottest day in Brooklyn, but also he kind of seems to set out to say that the country right now is in a very hot place, and we're going to explode into possibly riots soon if certain things don't change. And um, and he does this. You know, it's it's both what's going on. It's it's the you know the uh, the acting and everything. I mean, he does it with the colors that he uses for lighting in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's everything a very, very warm movie. Yeah, there's there's only a couple of shots in this movie that even let you relax relax as an audience member. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, um, there's a shot of um, the mayor. Um, yeah, after he saved. Um, Oh, I'm trying to remember exactly how it worked. But basically, he... He saves that little boy's life. He saves a little boy's life. And there's kind of this shot of him walking, um, Mm -hmm. and it has a blue background. It's just right as dusk and twilight is kind of settling in. And it's kind of the first moment in the movie where somebody really has done the right thing. Maybe the only time someone has done or will do the right thing. And it's the one moment in the movie where you kind of are allowed to cool off as an audience member. The rest of the time... Mm-hmm. You are bombarded with reds and oranges and, mm-hmm. and yellows. Yellows, and this movie makes you feel hot. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's it definitely does. Um, so it's it's obviously a movie rife with symbolism. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, very. I mean, blatantly so. I mean, to the point where um, I was a little distracted when I realized about halfway through, I started to realize that there are really no true characters in this movie. Everybody is symbolic or everybody's kind of playing a stereotype or everybody's kind of playing a type of person more than an actual character. Now this, this isn't like, um, not, I don't mean to make this comparison negatively, but it's not like Shakespeare where you can say, Oh, Hamlet behaves this way. This is the kind of character it's, Hamlet is. It's this kind is of kind more of, like a Greek, um, style. Yeah. It's like, here is the single mother. Mm-hmm. Here is the, you know, the mm-hmm. racist, you know, Italian. Here, here is your Greek chorus of you know that kind of yeah. tells you what's going on a little bit, or it's, yeah. you know, it's it's definitely these. It's more archetypes than it is yeah, specific I'll say, I'll, characters. I'll say archetypes more than stereotypes. Mm-hmm. It's stereotype is the wrong word. It's definitely an archetype where it's like this is the yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very interesting because because of that, I'm used to kind of watching movies, kind of going, oh, we're watching the movie about this guy and how he d- decides to do this. Mm-hmm. But there's no real main character in this movie. The closest to a main character we have is um, Mookie, played by Spike Lee. And it's really just because the whole story is kind of seen through his eyes a little bit. Mm-hmm. He seems to be the, the, the thread that joins all of these little stories together. But even he doesn't unify the movie necessarily, ever. Right. It, it would be kind of like watching an Indiana Jones film and going, this is not a movie about Indiana Jones. It's a movie about... A general adventurer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it reminded me, I mean, I don't know. And if he is searching for a generic treasure. That's, right. kind of, that's kind of how this feels a little bit. It's, and look at this Nazi. Isn't he a racist? But yes. he makes good pizza. Oh, I can't, oh, I gotta walk away from that metaphor very quickly. Yes. I'm not doing any Nazi oven jokes. I'm walking away. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. Um... However, what it did remind me of in a very positive way is Our Town, the old, um, is it Arthur Miller who wrote that yes. play? 
or Thornton Wilder. Thornton Wilder. I'm sorry. Thornton yes, Wilder. Thornton Wilder. It actually reminded me a lot of that, mm-hmm. where you have like this narrator person who kind of walks through, and you get these different glimpses of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would even say it, it is. I think it's intentionally designed as a stage play, almost that yes. takes place on films. Yes. Um, I, I yes. The, I, I said that I go. I, we were Kelly and I were watching this, and I said this is really theatrical, mm-hmm. not cinematic. Almost, mm-hmm. you could really imagine as you're watching this, you could imagine the the theater adaptation of this movie, mm-hmm. where you would have one big set on the stage, and you would have all these scenes playing out, mm-hmm. because he definitely has a lot of very long takes mm-hmm. in this. Which film. is which is not to say that it's not cinematic at all, because there are some fantastic cinematic tools oh, used yes. in this that are used specifically to make it feel theatrical rather than cinematic. It's it's kind of a it's a weird trick that goes on. Um, mm. It's it's actually very brilliant cinematic work that is designed to make you feel like you're watching a stage play. Yeah. Um, you know, technically it's it's a fantastic film from a technical aspect. Yeah. If you're into if you're into technical filmmaking, this is right up there at the top of the craft. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, if, if that's all you're into, uh, stop listening to this review now and go watch it because this is yeah. going to, to, to be amazing for you. Yeah. And it's, it, at, on one hand, it has a very independent film look because a lot of it is handheld yet. It has some of the best lighting. I mean, it doesn't look like a lot of your independent films. Look, you can tell a lot of work went mm-hmm. into, designing the shots mm-hmm. and you know and a lot of the shots the way they are done are metaphors there's there's a shot where um mookie is is walking along the street and even though there's not really any subtle hint at um the camera movement or whatever you know, he always basically stays the same difference it's, it's like even though he's walking and moving along he's not moving anywhere you know he's staying in place basically which is kind of a a, again a metaphor for what's going on in the movie there's you know um shots where people are are walking to doors or that sort of things where um the camera because it it shifts its focus it keeps the the door in frame in a specific way i really like that shortens shortens the street and it kind of feels like everything's closing in or you know it's it's very technically well done there was a very cool shot i thought and it seems simple but they're they're inside the pizzeria and then they go out onto the street and they start talking and the camera follows them but it doesn't ever leave the pizzeria Mm mm-hmm um, and so it's just it's to me it's just really cool. Like the sound doesn't change. It's like the conversation just kind of moves outside, and the camera kind of pushes towards the door, so you can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like it pulls back out when they come back in through the door. And I just thought it was like it was this really neat, simple thing to do instead of setting the camera up outside and just kind of you know mm-hmm. not taking your time or imagination to film it. They, he actually had this idea of doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is definitely a movie about something. It's definitely about racism, prejudice, and violence. I mean, there's a lot of these things, um, I mean, very on the forefront. I mean, between whether it's the way people treat each other or it's literally the conversations they are having, um, it's a constant movie. You know, it is a uh, constant topic that this movie continually, in almost every scene, addresses or readdresses. Almost every ethnic group that's represented in this movie has a problem with every other ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know it's very um, it's interesting in the way it builds up as a movie because it's the violence 
at the end, as as all of this racial tension um, kind of boils over, uh, you know, I would say it feels almost inevitable. Um, yeah. And it's it's almost kind of like you as the audience need it to happen. Yet, as you, you don't yet, want it to, but at the same time, yeah, yet, it's, it, it's the it, obvious thing that's going to happen at the end of this movie, and it does it's, not su- it doesn't surprise you. But and it it's kind of the release you need after all of this builds up for you, which I think is kind of maybe the kind point of, of the movie. I don't know. See, I, I kind of went the other way at the end when when Mookie, because Mookie works at this pizzeria, mm-hmm. and there are, there is a guy that works there. He's this. Um, not older, but maybe in his you know early fifties, late forties, uh, Italian guy who runs the the pizzeria, and he's got his son, his two sons work there, and one of his sons is blatantly racist, mm-hmm. and the other one just seems confused. Um, but at the end of the movie, there's like this big you know misunderstanding and this big fight that takes place, and then there's this there seems to be like this line drawn in the sand, and Mookie who has always kind of been defending the pizza guy Mm -hmm. for me. I mean, I don't know. I felt like almost for no reason he joins the mob. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because like, he felt like if he didn't break the window that, um, the mob would kill the, kill the, the, the Italian, uh, I forget his name. The guy who runs the place. Danny Aiello. I don't remember the character's name now. Yeah. I don't know. Sal. Is it Sal? Sal. I don't know if he felt like he was saving Sal's life by doing that, or if he was just kind of like, you know what, forget this. Um, I'm going to, you know, this has to happen. I don't know. I, I felt betrayed by mm-hmm. Mookie um, in that moment because it's so frustrating to see, well, what ends up happening, the tragedy that takes place in the few short moments. It's like, it just, it felt so needless. At, you know, it's like, why? <laughs> why does it have to devolve into this chaos? Why does someone have to die? Why does mm-hmm. someone's pizzeria have to be burned to the ground? Why did, you know, oh, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's just like, it, it, I was so frustrated in sure. that moment. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that is the mixed duality of this movie is, you know, it's, it's both that, it's both that frustration of that moment while at the same time, the whole movie has been building to that and the whole, you know, the whole day oh, for all of these characters. And, and it is a sort of release while at the same time being the most frustrating thing ever. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I would say, um, Spike, he, I mean, he was very, very brilliant the way he did this because the way the movie ends as the credits begin to roll, it feels very pointless. Mm-hmm. Like why, why did I sit through this movie? I don't understand. That was just, that just made me angry. And then these two quotes come up on the screen, one from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And one by Malcolm X. And it puts the whole movie into this bigger context Mm -hmm. of how violence will never solve our problems. Violence will never solve our problem of violence. It will never solve our problems of racism and prejudice. It can only beget more violence. Mm -hmm. And we are doomed as, as a people if we can't get over it. And when you see those quotes come up, you just go, this movie was brilliant. Uh-huh. <laughs> you might not enjoy watching the movie. Um, Kelly kind of commented that it has a very slow start. Um, it's not until maybe halfway through that it 
the narrative really picks up and it's because like I said there's no main character it's like here's this person here's this person here's this person yelling here's this person yelling here's this person yelling here's this person being yelled at and it's like okay I get it everybody's unhappy and then all of a sudden things start picking up and then it comes to a head and it's it ends up being a very good movie mm-hmm. it's yeah you know I'm going to definitely say that uh it's a very good movie. Um, it's, I can see why it's on the list. I, you know, I mean, I think when you look at it, you know, when it came out in, in 1989, um, you know, I mean, it's, this is the same year that, uh, driving Miss Daisy won some Oscars mm-hmm. and, you know, I, you know, uh, uh, you had movies like glory and, um, mm-hmm. you know, very much movies that, uh, as far as, race relations went were not exactly um champion championing i can speak sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you know they weren't putting, putting the black cause necessarily or or anybody's cause you know it was, it was very much more kind of these conciliatory um you know happy feel-good kinds of things yeah and, and there, you had movies that would kind of say hey look isn't this great that, you know, we can all get along, but you didn't, you definitely did not have movies that explored like the negative connotations. And so, you know, and so I can see this being just explosive at the time that it came Mm -hmm. out. I mean, just very much people going, wow, you know what? There are still major problems in race relations in America. Um, you know, and and I think that that still feels very relevant today. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, not just with, um, the groups maybe now that are, are presented in this movie, but you know, we, we've added, uh, some major issues with, um, Muslims now. And with, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think there's, if anything, we have certainly shifted some of, some of our, uh, race issues, but we've also created some major new ones in this country. And so it still feels yeah. incredibly, um, relevant Today. Yeah, I'm not saying they should remake this movie, but it'd be almost interesting to see what the 2011 version of this movie would be. Mm-hmm. You know, like what would the would the groups relatively be the same, or you know, would you replace the uh, the Koreans across the street with a different group? Would you, you know, would it be about the the white Italians? Would it be about the blacks? Or would you have a, a more diverse group? Or would it or would it relatively be the same? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it definitely has a lot going for it and has a lot to say and I think you know I think he set out to make a movie that did all this you know to kind of make you think and hopefully challenge you and hopefully not incite violence even though you have the main song being this song called Fight the Power and is can be taken to be a very incendiary very Mm -hmm. um, pro-violence song though I don't think it necessarily is intended to be that Mm -hmm. So, uh, there you go. It's, uh, it's definitely a mixed sort of movie. It's, uh, for me, I mean, just to kind of summarize what Mm -hmm. what I feel after watching it here. I mean, um, you know, I think it's a fantastic film. I, you know, I think it's an important sort of film. I can't specifically say I enjoyed it, Mm. But I have huge respect for it, and I'm glad that I've seen it. This is this is probably my second time watching it now, and you know, and I I, I don't know if I'll need to watch it a third time. Uh, certainly not anytime soon. 
Um, but I'm incredibly glad to have watched it. And, um, you know, I think it has some very important things to say. I think it it is um, some brilliant filmmaking um, in, its, in its own right. But, you know, I think you can look at that, and I think you can... I, I think the message at the heart of it all is a very important sort of message and well worth anyone's time to watch it. Just don't go into it expecting a lighthearted feel good sort of movie. Ooh. Don't don't go into it expecting a typical film structure. Don't go into it expecting um to really enjoy it. But if if you can go in <laughs> expecting to have um you know some of your your notions challenged or um you know wanting to to have something make you think a little bit. Um it's certainly a fantastic movie for that. Mm-hmm. And I I think I I could probably just say I concur, but um, I'll <laughs> expand on that uh, and to basically say that um, I have seen this movie three times, This, but I'm not necessarily getting in line to watch it a fourth time. I think I was counting, like, I think I watched it once when I rented it. I owned this movie for a time. I bought the Criterion. And then I think I ended up selling it. Um, and that Kelly and I watched it. And yeah, it's not necessarily a movie I enjoyed sitting through. Mm-hmm. But I'm re- like, I, like you said, I'm really happy that this movie exists. I know this movie inspired me in film school. It was definitely one of the movies that I was like, yes, this is the kind of movie I want to make. Movies that can be entertaining, but also socially relevant. Movies that can make a difference in today's society. I think that is important. Um, and so I think I would honestly, I would probably recommend this. I would say mm-hmm. that, um, you know, kind of if you don't like the F word, maybe avoid it. <laughs> According to IMDb, it, um, there are 240 F-bombs in this movie. And I'm not sure if this movie is exactly two hours long. It might be a little bit, it might be right at two hours. So, I mean, it's a pretty frequent thing in this. And I know for some people it's kind of a deal breaker. Or it just it doesn't make for a pleasant movie experience um that being said that's kind of the point this isn't a pleasant movie experience this is supposed to be something that's supposed to kind of shake you wake you up and make you think um right now it's on netflix streaming so if it still is in the future i would definitely say definitely go that route Mm -hmm. um i don't know if you'll be able to find this in your local movie rental place but if you're if you have netflix online or if you have blockbuster or whatever online um definitely check this out. I think it's definitely a piece of cinematic history that um, should be remembered. And it's the, the message is timeless even if the music isn't, or even if the acting style is different, or whatever. It's still a you know relevant movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, there you go. That is uh, Do the Right Thing. <laughs> yeah. Um... Next week, we are going to talk about movie number 95 on AFI's top 100 list, which is The Last Picture Show. Mm -hmm. So um, stay tuned for that. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 